Hello, everyone. The analysts are back again this week with round four. Can you believe it, CR? It's gone quick. It's gone quick of our discussion about the always changing and somewhat mad election season we are covering here on KCTS9.org, Vote 2016. I'm Joni Balter, KCTS9 political analyst with CR Douglas, political analyst for Q13. Today, we are going to talk about, don't we always do this, the latest in the presidential race? More specifically today, how it is affecting local races here in Washington state. How much ticket splitting will there be? We'll also recap the U.S. Senate debate earlier this week, it seems like 100 years ago, (laughs) between Patty Murray and Chris Vance. We'll take a look at the very interesting race for superintendent of public instruction. The first time this seat has been open in eight years, and CR, we simply have to do an update on the ad war in the 7th Congressional District race. It is a must. It is a must. Let's get to it. The Trump effect. It's pretty clear. There's no sitting on the edge of your seat about any of this. That Donald Trump seems headed to defeat, and he's certainly not going to win here in Washington. He is looking at a loss of, what would you call it, like epic proportions? What do you think, CR? I would say shellacking. Shellacking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's a Democratic advantage already in Washington. So when you look at who's kind of on the ballot, um, Democrats will have a pretty good year. Probably would have even without Trump on the ballot. Um, and that's because in presidential years, as we've said before, turnout is highest In a state like Washington with a lot of blue voters, that means a lot more Democrats voting. So the big marquee races we look at, governor, senator, AG, um, all with Democratic incumbents. I mean, they would likely be reelected this year anyway, as I said. Um, But maybe closer contests. Yeah, right. Well, I think I think there'll be less closer contests this year for them because of the Trump effect. So for them and for the Democrats on the ballot, it's more. You know, what kind of margin of victory they're going to have, not whether it will affect the outcome. I think the Trump effect is most interesting when you look at the Republicans and incumbents on the ballot. I mean, will they be able to survive a quote unquote shellacking at the top of the tippet? So the two I'm looking at, Secretary of State Kim Wyman, the incumbent Republican, who's the one statewide Republican in office here in in Washington. And on the West Coast. And on the West Coast. Tells you how blue the West Coast is. And then the second kind of incumbent Republican is the state Senate, you know, controlled by Republicans with a couple votes. So I will be looking at both those strongholds, important strongholds for Republicans in this state. And can those incumbents, if you will, retain their power, even if Trump goes down pretty, pretty big in Washington? So to me, Donald Trump is the epitome of the bull in a china shop. We're going to have to come up with a new new uh, adage for that. He is storming through races and places. Uh, the Trump effect is gigantic, as you say. He's hurting Republican candidates everywhere. The only race that could be closer than the Senate races in Washington is the governor's race. So did you see that ad that shows uh, Republican Bill Bryant stuck in traffic? Now, nobody gets excited about candidates inching along on a street or a freeway in this case, horns blaring, everybody looks annoyed. However, at the end of this, there is just this nice, sweet, fun moment. A delivery man knocks on the car window in the traffic jam and delivers the candidate a pizza. This is very funny. Makes you want to identify with Bryant. And who among us does not want a pizza delivered while they're right. stuck in traffic? 
And the ad says, I actually quoted the ad here in, in something I wrote the other day, quote, I drive in this, says Bill Bryant. I get it. And as your next governor, I'll fix it. Um, so, you know, compelling Sounds message. Sounds kind of cool, right? Yeah. You know, the problem is critics will say there is no plan, right? It's not clear what he would do to fix traffic. So there's some faith there you would have to have. Uh, you know, that Bryant could actually do something uh, about what everyone recognizes is the problem, which is congestion. A bigger challenge, I think, for Bryant is just the Bill Who phenomenon, right? I mean, he's been a poor commissioner. Most people think that's an appointed position. Um, You know, poor commissioner's (laughs) never going to be a household name, right? So, and he's not. He started with very, very low name ID. um, And so, and he doesn't have a lot of money to sort of change that. Um, And it is a big jump to go from that to governor. So if even the people are open to an Inslee alternative, they want to have some familiarity with who's who's providing that alternative. And as I said, he just doesn't have the name recognition. One other thing I'll say is that this leap is pretty large from port commission to governor. You know, if you if you look at the last several governors, they actually had pretty big jobs before they... They're usually county executives previously, something like that. And if you'll note in the Seattle Times endorsement, very backhanded endorsement for governor of Jay Inslee, while they were sort of musing about why they were not going to endorse Bill Bryant, they said that he needed two more lines on his resume, which I think is capturing what you're saying and what a lot of people might feel. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Inslee, he had been a, a congressman for quite a while. Gregoire, the governor before that, had been an attorney general, three, three-term three attorney general. You go to Gary Locke, as you said, uh, there were county executives in that office. He was the King County executive. Um, then you go to Mike Lowry, who had been a longtime congressman. You know, Booth Gardner had been a county executive. You know, it's it's not a coincidence that 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 the folks who get to the governor's mansion have had pretty big jobs because it takes a while to sort of build up your name recognition and build up a track record, and it's it's just it's just hard to do that from the port commission. Yes, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, I just want to under underline the fact that the closest race of the evening might be Secretary of State, because that's really what happened in the primary, if you're just looking head-to-head number comparisons. But this is not because of any, as far as I know, any screaming need to replace Republican Kim Wyman, but it's more because her challenger, Tina Podlodowski, has that big D uh, after her name, D for Democrat. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the Trump effect, as I said, is is really going to be most pronounced when it comes to outcomes when you look at Republican incumbents and Kim Wyman being the the, the most powerful Republican incumbent uh, in the state who's getting a big challenge and a, and, a, and a sort of, you know, blue year, a blue wave, if you will, an anti-Trump wave uh, could really put could really put Tina over the top. I mean, that's the kind of thing where, where a Trump effect could could really be be noticeable. Yeah, you know, if Republicans just feel like, oh, I can't take this election, I just don't want to do any of it, you know, that... And there's some evidence for that. Off. You know, in, in, in our primary back in August, you were already seeing some of this. I mean, there was kind of a lower turnout among Republicans, um, and Democrats did pretty well in a lot of the races in the primary. So if that holds up, then... then you know, Republicans, incumbents, um, as I said, are going to have a are going to have a problem. The Senate race you mentioned it at the outset does seem like you know years ago, but it was only about four or five days ago. Uh, Patty Murray versus Chris Vance. Um, we both watched it. This 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 interesting debate they had. 
Um, not a close race, but I do think it says some interesting oh things my. about Washington politics. Some of politics. the polls shows Patty Murray ahead by 16 points. The, yeah. The KCTS 9 Washington cross-cut Washington poll is showing 16 percentage points advantage yeah. for Patty yeah. Murray. Did, did, did anything happen? out in some countries, yeah. you know? <laughs> did anything happen in your mind at the Sunday debate that would change that? What do you make of the race? Well, I want to go to the debate for a minute. I did write a piece for uh, KCTS 9 and cross-cut on it. And I mean, yes, it feels past tense, like this race is, is over now and has been over for some period of time. But, uh, but I have to highlight this because I was struck by it. This was maybe the most mannerly and respectful debate event of the entire season. It certainly seemed that way to me. I mean, I was watching them and I was thinking, you know, both of these people, Patty Murray Chris Vance can work across the aisle with other people. And I was also thinking, you know, these two people could work well together. I mean, they, they can't go to the they Senate both together. Nice. They both play very nice. They played very nice. They just, they're, I really like the idea that they that they have manners toward one another. They didn't agree, disagree that much on a few things. What'd you think? Well, um, I agree with that. Uh, and, you know, Patty, uh, Patty's pretty hard to beat. She's been hard to beat in the past. Um, and that doesn't seem to have changed this year. You mentioned the poll where she's ahead by 16 points. And most others have shown that same kind of margin. You know, if you look back, she's won in good years for Democrats. She's won in bad years for Democrats. She's won in boom times. She's won in bust times. So she has this formula that seems to work kind of whatever the conditions are. Can I just interject? Sure. If you look at those statewide maps uh, during the primary, you have a Democratic senator incumbent doing quite well in eastern Washington counties that almost always vote for whoever's the Republican. So that's that. Yeah, I mean, that's the background here. She's definitely likable in lots of the part, uh, lots of the state. I think it's probably going to take an open seat for Republicans to actually win this position back. Um, that or she'll have to get sort of so old <laughs> uh, nice. that she'll, she'll seem send past, you a greeting card that for that one, I think. past her prime. You know, Slade Gordon. I was just going to say Slade Gordon. Yeah, yeah. For Are those who remember, we used nose? to have a Republican senator. <laughs> uh, when he first won this seat, um, he won it back in 1980, and he won it against a very popular Democratic incumbent, War Magnuson, been been in the position for decades. And it wasn't that people were sort of um, against Magnuson's policies, but Magnuson at that point, you know, he was, I don't know, 85, something like that. I mean, he's clearly past his prime. He was, I, you I know, think he was, was a little younger, but he walked poorly. He walked so, poorly, sort of kind of had some it. hard living. And so, so the kind of time for a new generation really worked in that. So I'm wondering if that's what it's going to take for Patty Murray, you know, another 10 or 15 years if she stays that long before before Democrats or Republicans can take her out. So uh, just to give Chris Vance just a minute here, just of his due, let's say, uh, you know, he, he spent a lot of that debate and a lot of this campaign talking about the $20 trillion national debt. Um, it's, it's unfortunately for him, one of those mega issues, my eyes glaze over. I mean, people know that, you know, that it's, that talking about it is good for us, that we should eat our peas and all that business. But, but it just, it just doesn't ring really loud. Well, some years it does, you know, back in 92 Perot, remember the Perot charts, you know, it was all about the deficit and the debt and it, 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 it can play some years, but for better or for worse, the $20 trillion national debt 
has not gotten much traction in this election, certainly not in this Senate race and not even nationally. You know, Trump does bring it up, talks about the 20 trillion in debt. Um, but I wouldn't say he's made a huge piece of his campaign. And, you know, there's a question about whether his tax cuts would even would even uh, enlarge it more. So so this fiscal responsibility, we need to kind of do entitlement reform, you know, the kind of things Chris Vance is talking about, which have a lot of appeal and at some point will need to be done, but they're just not resonating with voters this year. No. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> okay, so the race that is pretty interesting, much closer than the U.S. Senate race, is this race for the superintendent of schools. Randy Dorn, of course, he's that firebrand. You know, we always loved him in the media. I loved putting a camera or a camera and microphone in front of Randy Dorn. You could always get something. Um, he's gone. He's retiring. So he's out of those positions, uh, was there for eight years. It's a pretty interesting battle to succeed him. I mean, what do you make of this race? Two newcomers, Aaron Jones, School administrator, mostly, uh, has been her background. Ryan against Chris Rectall. He's a member of the state house. Uh, how do you size this up? You know, I have a hard time sizing this up, to be to be very honest with you. You know, as you said, firebrand for Randy Dorn. He was a really solid, boisterous advocate for education funding. But as you know, I think you know, he was so strident at times, he had a hard time convincing people to follow him. Uh, so... I don't normally buy things that the stranger says, and I hope that doesn't result in a lot of really bad email. But, uh, you know, they this, this election's so nutso that they endorsed Aaron Jones uh, in the primary, uh, citing the fact, among other facts, that if elected, she would be the first African-American to hold statewide office. So there was some enthusiasm around that, right? But then, and then I don't get this, all the all the way that, that that it was meant, they rescinded their endorsement because of a perceived lack of understanding of LGBTQ issues. The idea there is that she could not demonstrate that she understood the the link between education and and LGBTQ rights. I guess though, if you want to kind of say that uh, how how the primary might predict the general, I, Jones definitely beat Rictal. Am I saying it right? Rictal, yeah. In the in primary voting, but I have to think the name Jones, much like Johnson in some of the recent uh, Supreme Court races of the past, might be a favorable factor. Name? What do you think? I, I do. I mean, Jones versus Rechtal, uh, it's one's easier to say than the other. Um, Did you see how much fun I had saying that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it seemed like she was on her way to victory. Um, as you say, this name probably helps her. I think being a woman helps her. You know, you some argue that that that's two, three percentage points uh, in in a race where where the candidates are not necessarily known. Um, she had, as you say, this nice margin in the primary. She had the Seattle Times endorsement. Kind of the, all the momentum was going her way, and then this stranger dust up happened where she actually had that endorsement, and then, as you say, it got rescinded. So I don't know if that's enough to kind of change the dynamic of the race. I guess it'll be a test for the power of the stranger about whether they can take what seemed like Aaron Jones' momentum and kind of and kind of stop it. You know, I'll give the stranger this. I do feel that in the absence of Seattle PI and that editorial voice that they had, the stranger has come up in prominence in, in what they say. But again, this is a statewide race. This is way down ballot. You know, I think the name and maybe some of the early 
uh, good vibes may prevail yeah, there. There's there's a little evidence that maybe what the stranger did is is having an effect. You know, the new Elway poll shows a much tighter race uh, than the primary. I mean, the primary is a five-point race, but the new Elway poll shows Jones at 18%, Rectal at 17%, so basically tied. But but the crazy thing about that poll is the undecideds are at 68%. That's I mean, kind of my just, point. This is just They're a like, couple huh? days ago. They're like, huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> so it's clear that these two are unknown and, and kind of anything uh, can happen. It's largely a race about resumes, which are never very interesting races. Um, there's not a lot of policy difference here. Um, they both want to boost education funding. Both want to yeah. boost education funding. You know, a big, a big kind of kind of issue I did a debate with both of them is, you know, because of McCleary and all the problems with school funding, you know, who has the better skills to help kind of move the legislature um, better than Dorn did? Uh, now, Rechtel is a current state legislator, so you could argue, well, you know, he's got that advantage. She actually has more experience in K-12, so she brings that. Um, we'll see. It's been fun in the past, however, when the race was not just about resumes, but about issues. You remember eight years ago when Dorm was challenging Terry Bergeson? It's right. like, we should keep the wassail, get rid of the oh, wassail. You I'm know, so that, glad we wa haven't been saying wassail lately. <laughs> that was that big standardized test <laughs> that know. if you were around, then you would have known. But it's not that kind of race this year. There's not a fun, I say fun, but There's you know, not an interesting... easily identifiable thing that we're either that's all separating for the or against that's separating them. That's right, that's right. Speaking of which, you know, you and I, we were going to try to be restrained, and we were going to skip the 7th Congressional District race in this podcast, but I'm here to tell you we cannot skip it. This race heated up pretty big this week, and I sort of had a um, bird's-eye, first-hand view of the whole thing because I was uh, conducting a debate. I was hosting, co-hosting a debate at Seattle University with the two candidates on Monday evening. Seattle University... And right off the top, we got into it because Brady Walkinshaw had just released an ad criticizing his opponent, Pramila Jayapal, for missing a bunch of votes in Olympia. He went negative. He went negative, or as he would say, contrast ad, which is a euphemism for negative, but okay. <laughs> okay. And then her answer, uh, you know, and we, we had a couple people doing the interviewing, and we sort of had a rhythm to how we had to go. But anyway... Her answer was something about beating up on or demeaning women. And I was like, wait, we'll talk about in, in a second about if that is demeaning women to call out a normal thing in a campaign. And I meant to get back to it. There was an audible gasp in the audience when she said that. And a couple of uh, women who were there came up after and said, that was terrible to say that. And so I thought that was kind of going to be the end of that. And then I read in Danny Westneat that she turned all of this into an ad that has a picture, if you can believe it, of Donald Trump. This and is her response ad. Her response her ad. Response. Thank you for, you know, helping me get through all of this. And the, the line is this, the attacks, the demeaning of women's accomplishments enough. So that sort of you know, that put it pretty much sets your teeth ajar if you're a woman. I personally don't understand how we women can run as equals. Hey, we're equals, but you can't point out my attendance issues, even real or imagined. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, I think this was probably inevitable, meaning, meaning the go negative uh, phenomenon here. I mean, Walkinshaw 
hadn't been gaining really any ground since the primary where he, you know, lost two to one against her. Uh, so he had to do something. As negative ads go, I thought it was pretty mild. I'm speaking of his ad. You know, or it wasn't... as or as the stranger here I go again called it uh, weak tea. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it actually started with Brady, you know, smiling Brady, and then it, and then it kind of it kind of faded into you know three you know kind of likable you know unassuming voters who sort of they were mentioning the the kind of attendance issues. So it wasn't this like you know, scary narrator and grainy video and impending <laughs> Armageddon, you know, which you've seen in, in attack ads. Right. Um, like all you're doing is saying my opponent could show up more often in Olympia and happen to miss yeah, a budget I mean, vote, was, which was an important vote. And apparently he was there. It was the budget he was, vote. He yeah. was taking attendance, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't think, I didn't think the Brady ad it was a light punch. It was like, hey, <laughs> the race is almost over. I got to say something yeah. here. Uh, but, but I found people, I, I was out uh, out and about last evening, and a lot of women were mentioning this. And they were, they considered her response. So uh, some people have called it thermonuclear, that they they were going to switch their vote. They were just really put off yeah, by and, this. And we'll see, um, yeah, what her response does. I mean, she, she didn't just take it standing, right? I mean, the next day there was this huge press conference with all of her, you know, allies talking about how effective she's been. Um, and, and they were and, so and, put off by the negativity that it just yeah. wasn't that much. But right. I think surrogates and even this ad you mentioned from her, you know, went one step too far. I mean, you know, the, the, the message was from some, um, you know, how dare, you know, Brady, how dare you criticize Pramila? You must be, you must be sexist and you must be racist. Um, which, you know, it, seems crazy, right? It seems I mean, crazy. Yeah, it seems yeah. crazy. I mean, and she it's was... like if, if I if somebody says to me, I don't like that ugly green sweater you're wearing today. Is it that they don't like the ugly green sweater I'm wearing today? By the way, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> or do they have do they want to demean women? Yeah. So they're they're, you know, uh uh her backlash, you know, may 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 have a backlash to it. I mean, we'll see. Um it may be that this is a wash, and and maybe the, he'll gain we're the some only votes, people that know votes. about this. <laughs> uh, and 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 maybe the advantage she had going into the ad war will survive after the ad war. People have already been voting for one thing, people and she has the most voting. money in this yeah. race. But most weight, most weight. I mean, there's been some early voting, but you know, if 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 past elections are any indication it's later and later and later that these mail-in ballots actually get get filled out and mailed in one other thing i'll say about about the the jayapal walkinshaw race you know the one game changer left potential game changer is what does jim mcdermott do oh yes he of oh, course yes. is the guy that's held the seat for nearly 30 years the retiring incumbent um, but he's been careful to not do that. He's been careful, but there have been a lot of whispers that maybe he would get involved. I mean, let's say he actually endorses Walkinshaw. Well, that could be what puts him over the top. Um, I mean, that will be the final kind of moving piece, if you will, to this race. Um, and I think if he supports Jayapal, I think that probably seals the deal for her. So what does he do? We'll stay tuned and, and see. The other congressional seat, uh, there aren't that many interesting ones. I'm glad you said ones. seat, yeah. not race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right. This one is not as much of a race at all. Um, but partly because of redistricting, we do not have competitive congressional races. Um, 
The one that kind of is interesting, though probably not competitive, but worth talking about is is Dave Reichert's seat. This is the eighth congressional district. You know, it's a lot redder than it used to be. He's yes, having because an... it extends across the mountains into Chelan County. Exactly, exactly. Um, he's having an easier time, uh, but there's some fun dynamics. So we bring it up today, and and I'd love your thoughts. Well, a this isn't a race. This is more of a practice drill for something. I don't know what. So you have a Democratic challenger who started out by saying that he doesn't like big fundraising. He then drops out of the race. But oh, by the way, not in time to take his name off the ballot. So why not have some fun? The voters aren't overwhelmed enough. They need another race that makes them scratch their head and say, what is going on here? I have no idea. Uh, so it's hard to take this seriously. Sports guy challenges incumbent congressman. He's pretty entrenched. Are you having fun? Is this fun? <laughs> <laughs> well, TV has had some fun with this. I mean, Tony Ventrella, let's name him. Uh, he's the Democratic challenger. Um, you know, he's been a longtime sportscaster in town. Very well known. Very popular. He's kind of had political ambitions and thought about jumping into various races over the years and, and finally did. In, in this race, but but sort of was in, was out, was in, was out. I mean, if you are serious about taking out an incumbent, I mean, there is a textbook for how to do it. you start it. with cash. You do not start with the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And you probably need a million dollars. You you need to dedicate yeah, a year more. of your life. You need to be serious uh, about it 24-7, knock on doors and campaign and all the rest. Tony Ventrella isn't doing any of that. I mean... He's so ambivalent about this. As you say, he was in the race. He was out of the race. He was in the race. Um, I think that and, was the order, but, but, <laughs> but check me if I'm wrong. And you just can't take out any incumbent and not Dave Reichert, who's a popular incumbent with that approach. I mean, you talked about the district. I mean, it used to be that the 8th, before redistricting a couple of years ago, went up to basically the mountaintop, the mountain And was pass. very competitive in those days. It was days. pretty competitive. Those would be races that would begin right after the, the term would begin. Yeah. And now, as you say, this goes all the way over. It captures Wenatchee. It captures Ellensburg. It captures Lake Chelan. I mean, that's red country. So whereas before redistricting, Riker used to win by like 52% of the vote, kind of had to claw his way to victory, um, but had the advantage. Now he's winning by 62% of the vote. So he's almost untouchable. Probably no Democrat would have would have a very good chance against him, but you can't run the way Tony's running and think you would have any chance. And call it running. Uh, one thought about about Reichert, you know, uh, I think this might have even been your observation at one point, that he pretty much uh, floats above politics in a situation like this. He has been living for many years on the fumes of being sheriff and catching the Green River Killer. Uh, he's probably unbeatable, perhaps until he retires. And I, once I was in D.C. and I, uh, and I was I took Dave Record out to dinner on, on behalf of the Seattle Times at that time to cover his race, and he told this story and he loved this that um, President George W. Bush still called him the sheriff. He loved that. <laughs> you know, he's still living off that. He's got this halo around him. Uh, people really like him. And you know, one interesting thought experiment is what if he had jumped into the governor's race? He thought about jumping into the governor's race this year, took it to about the 11th hour, and then finally yeah, decided against it. But he does that almost it. every cycle. He does that, but I'm told by people that he was pretty serious. And oh, I know he was. Up until oh, the day of filing, that. you know, yeah, might yeah. have done it. His aides he didn't really... necessarily even know. And you wonder if, given his name ID 
how well known he is, how well liked he is, what kind of challenge he would have he would have presented to Inslee, especially think about something that's not getting much attention this year in that race, which is these early release of prisoners. You know, that was a huge well, but no, deal. But Bill Bryan tried that for a little while and then he thought that's not working. He tried and it didn't work for him, but I'm just wondering if the former sheriff the law and order guy could have made more of that issue than Bill Bryant's been well, able to make Well, if you want to play it. what if here, what if uh, former state attorney general Rob McKenna, who came within three points of beating Jay Inslee in 2012, had run? Yeah. What about that dynamic? It, it, He's it a popular been, guy It would have been here. a much more interesting race. Uh, that's for sure. So we got to get to at least one initiative, and we can do it kind of quickly. Initiative 1464, it would be similar to a measure that passed in Seattle last year. Every voter in the state would get three $50 vouchers for the state legislative races, and presumably it could be expanded to statewide races later. What do you make of this this measure real quickly? Well, it's kind of a goofy idea. Uh, We've never been we, afraid of goofy we ideas. We saw it in Seattle last year, basically this idea. We called it democracy vouchers in Seattle, um, and it passed. Um, and so we'll see if this has a chance statewide. You know, the latest poll um, has it at 36 yes. This is the Elway poll. 23 no, a whopping 41 undecided. No, that so, means no, though, because that's not enough yes to I go I mean, those are lethal election. statistics those going into Yeah. Okay. I mean, you really need over those. 50 at this point, and especially with that many undecided. You know, if you're undecided this late, typically with an initiative, which can be complicated, it, they usually break no. They break no. Um, yeah, and absolutely. so with only 36 confirmed yes at this point, I think this goes down. Um, it's clear this is a test case initiative. I mean, mean, there's a a national there's a ton of out of state money. There's a lot of election reform, campaign reform folks that are trying to get a foothold into one state. They want to see if they can win in Washington, and if so, they will take the movement across the country, state by state. That's what you are seeing pretty successfully with gun control measures. You know, it didn't. Oh, that absolutely. You know, background checks. Yeah. Have not worked at the national level, but you've seen states do them. For instance, Washington. So state by and state, this year, are doing Maine them. and Nevada have those on the ballot. So this same is thing with minimum wage. Right. You've seen right. minimum wage movements in state and state and state. So the backers of this kind of reform say, "Hey, there's never going to be movement at the federal level on campaign finance reform. Let's try and you know start a fire at the state level." If they don't get it here in Washington, I think that sets back that effort quite a bit. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone, to The Analysts. I am Joni Balter. He is C.R. Douglas, and we are The Analysts. To hear more podcasts from KCTS 9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.